0: Again, I need to always pray before we jump into the Word. I'm I'm kind of feeling wound a little tight this morning. So if you could just, I just want to pray that God, I could just let go and we can just let God do his thing. So pray with me, will you? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to look into your Word, your Word that's living and that's active and that does incredible things in our lives. So we pray, God, as we look at your Word this morning, pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead, your Spirit would teach, you'd give me just a freedom in your Spirit, that the words that I say would be words that you have prepared me to say and want to say uh, through me, God. So we thank you that this is a this whole time is a holy moment, God, where we get to um, learn from you and experience the living God that desires an intimate relationship with us. So take this time, and you be honored, and we be just blessed by it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I, w- I think that it's pretty fair to say that um, all of us desire to have close, intimate relationships. I mean like intimate relationships where we are truly known by somebody and where we know that they truly know all about us. The ins and outs, the good, the bad, the ugly. I, we all want, we all long to have that. And it's also a well, it's a well-proven fact that there are profound emotional benefits that come with having close and intimate relationships. For example, uh, intimate relationships are known to foster trust and security, as well as reduce stress, and they also provide a sense of positive well-being and a purpose in life. That's how important intimate relationships are. Now the reality, and once again, we have the little handouts if you don't have one. I know you're in the front row. If you want to, this is a new thing we started here, so now you have to because I gave it to you. um, if you want to fill out, you don't have to, but if you want to follow along here, because the first one I want to uh, just really make clear to you as the reality is that God has created all of us to have intimate relationships, well, intimate relationship with him. One that is meant to fulfill our deepest longings and create a sense of fulfillment. This is a reality. This is the truth. This is something very important that we all remember this is, because an intimate relationship with God is meant to have a profound impact on our, all, our overall emotional state. Uh, due to being aware of His glory and of His power and of His love and His good, goodness and his, ex- and his acceptance of us. And what that does in return that results in increased faith and, conv- and conviction and confidence and joy. You see how that works is the more we get to know Him, the more we receive from Him what is true. That's what's so wonderful about it, even in the midst of our deepest struggles. And that's when the rubber meets the road. Because in this morning's passage, where we are in our study through the book of Matthew, we're going to look at an event in the life of Jesus that shows how pursuing intimacy with His Father Radically impacted his emotional state in a time when he was facing really just horrible things that he knew was coming up. He was facing the reality of this impending betrayal that he knew was coming and horrific suffering. He knew all of this was coming. So let's let's just jump right into this scene, okay? Because this is we're going to see how we're really going to get to see the human side of Jesus in our passage this morning. So. I'd start looking in Matthew 26, verses 30 to 32. It says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So at the conclusion of the Passover meal, which is what we looked at last week, Jesus and his disciples, they do what they traditionally did. They sing a hymn, and you can even look in the different psalms that they sang. They sing this hymn, and they head out. Uh, to the Mount of Olives, which is a place that's uh, an area just east of Jerusalem. So they just go out, so they're still kind of within the Jerusalem boundaries here uh, for Passover. And this is a time now Jesus addresses his disciples and tell them, he tells them something that must have absolutely rocked their world. This had to just become a major blow to them to, to hear this. He tells them that that very night, every single one of them is going to desert him every single one of them is going to desert him. And that, that must have just been something that they were just blown away about. And it's actually something that he, in this, in the passage we just read, it's something that was written in the scriptures. It was predicted this was happened. This is no surprise. Remember we talked about it last week. Jesus was like, oh my gosh, what are you guys thinking? I can't believe you're going to do this. He knew this was in the scriptures that this was going to happen, that it was going to be fulfilled this way. Yet it won't be the end of the matter. Even them running off, it won't be the matter. As we, at the end of the matter, as we saw last week, remember that Jesus told his disciples that despite the fact that he is going to atone for the sins of all mankind through his death, Remember he said there awaits this uh, triumphant future. Remember I remember I, I walked into the end of the, the Sunday morning adult class, and they were talking about this this morning, how what an incredible thing that Jesus reminds us, and when when we 're going to take communion we 're going to be reminded of it again is that it's not all over. What Jesus did is not all over. What's coming is this incredible, amazing, triumphant time when we're going to celebrate with Him. So just like He said it back then, okay, here again He's looking beyond His death. He tells them that their impending desertion, that they're, they're all they're scattering in fear, it's not going to be the end. It's not going to be final because His resurrection is really going to lead to this reunion of this regrouping. And he says, it's all going to happen back in our own hometown. So here's what's going to happen. I'm sure they're not even thinking about that part. They're just thinking, what? We're not going to do that. But Jesus is saying, it's not over. It's not over. Okay. So obviously what's going to happen here, who's probably going to speak up first in, in protest? Peter. Exactly. And that's exactly what we see. Peter has a rebuttal for Jesus. Look at verses 33 to 35. Peter answers him though they all will fall away from you because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. We're all in. Remember, if you remember, it was Peter back in chapter 16. Remember when Jesus said that, uh, he, t- he said that, listen, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be uh, given over to the officials, but I'm going to rise again. Remember Jesus pulled, I mean, Peter pulled Jesus inside and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. How can you say that's going to happen? That can't happen. Well, now uh, Peter seems to be willing to say, okay, if that's going to happen, that's fine. But you got to know, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. I'd rather rather die than deny you. Jesus responds to Peter by telling him, that's what, buddy, tonight, tonight, in fact, you will deny me three times. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's head when he heard that? Peter had just proclaimed, I'd rather die. And he's like, tonight, even tonight. You're going you're gonna to deny that you even knew me. Can you imagine? He's thinking, what? He's probably thinking, no way. Not me. I'm all in. Maybe you, you did you say, you, you meant to say somebody else, right? No, I'm all in. See, now the scene shifts, though, we see. We see Peter saying, I'm in. I'm not going to do this. But now look what what happens. Uh, Matthew takes us on a shift of this whole scene. He doesn't even get into what probably happened after that. But the scene now shifts to Jesus dealing with the reality of his approaching and suffering and death. And really the tremendous emotional turmoil that it evokes in him. We're gonna, this is where we really see the human side of Jesus. Okay, look at verses 36 to 39. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus now leads his disciples to what was most likely this olive orchard, And he instructs them all. He says, okay, I want you guys to sit down here, okay? Sit down here and watch while I go off, and I'm going to spend some private time with my father, okay? And what really now suggests and really helps us to see this really longing that Jesus had at this moment for human companionship, we see that he takes, he he sells them all to sit down, but he takes three along with him. Once again, he's showing the human side. I got I to gotta be with, I want to be with my father, but I need some human companionship here. So he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And it's with these three men now that Jesus reveals the extent of the emotional stress that he is under. These guys are going to see it, okay? And number two on your notes there, what Jesus was, at, was literally experiencing was deep, crushing, sorrow, distress, and grief. Remember, in Luke's gospel, the gospel tells us that as he was praying, remember what happened? He, his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So he is under this deep, to the point of death. Have you ever found yourself saying, "This is killing me. Oh, I this I just want to. This is so big. I just can't. I just, this is this is this over overbearing. I'm killing me. I just want to die." Well, quite literally, that's exactly what Jesus will say. I guess we don't have any room to say that anymore, do we? Because Jesus, really, that's how he was feeling. It was to death. He literally, it was so hard, he wanted to die, and he bled. I can't imagine. I can't imagine having that much sorrow. But that's what Jesus was feeling here, here. okay? So Luke, uh, Luke tells us that he even bled. So And now needing some privacy, what we see here is that Jesus you know, takes the three. Probably the things I read says he probably said, okay, you guys stay here. And he went maybe like a stone's throw away from the man. And out of deep emotion, he falls on his face and crying out to God. He cries out to his father, father, if there can be any other way, if there can be any other way for this plan of salvation to become a reality, please let it be so. Basically, in a sense, Jesus is saying, father, If there's a plan B, I'm all in. (laughs) If there's a plan B here, I am all for it. we got to remember that Jesus was fully human, and the emotional sorrow and distress that he was experiencing had to be absolutely overwhelming. Because not only was he aware that he was going to go through some excruciating physical pain, he knew that he was going to not only be mocked, and betrayed, he knew he was going to be tortured. He knew this was coming. He knew he was going to die a very, very painful death. But I believe that what was way worse than that was way worse was the greater pain, was him anticipating the separation that he was going to experience from his father, as, as really as God poured all of his wrath, all of his anger. Remember, God is a holy God. God is a perfect and holy God. Sin, he cannot tolerate that. So he, he, that's what the... You guys, we understand this. That's what the cross is about. Jesus taking all that anger and all that wrath that God has towards sin, and he took it upon himself. And he knew that that was coming. He knew that all the sin, all the rebellion of the world was going to fall on him. And he knew that his father, whom in all of eternity he'd never not been intimate with, he knew that he was going to turn his back on him. He knew that his father had to look away. He knew that his father had to be separate from him for a moment. That had to be absolutely crushing. That, I can't imagine what his mind, because remember, he was fully human, and that's what he was dealing with. Yet even knowing all of this that was in store for him, he was willing to be obedient that we see here. So what's actually taking place here is Jesus is actually coming to terms emotionally with what he already knows is certain. Okay. He's trying to, he's, this is a very human moment where he's going, okay, I know what's coming, but I got to get my head around this emotionally. You ever felt that before? You know what's coming or you know what you're dealing with and your emotions are kind of getting out of control. So that's what Jesus is doing at this moment. He's determined not to allow himself to be ruled by the emotions that are produced by these circumstances. He refuses to do it, so he's got to work it through because he wants to be ruled by the truth that his father ultimately has a perfect plan for him. This is a great example for us because we're not seeing Jesus go, okay, I got this. We're seeing him suffer. We're seeing him struggle. We're seeing him just be in agony. Yet we're seeing him want to come to grips with what he knows is right and what he knows is good. This is where I believe it really, our Christian life and the faith really hits home for you and I. The certainty of life, my friends, we all know this, is that there will be difficult times, right? There will be very painful times of life. Sometimes extremely to the point where we just want to say what? I just want to die. Those times come. And we're really struggling. Yet number three on your notes, though. Yet as Jesus was able to face the certainty of his upcoming suffering, knowing his father had a perfect plan, we too, as followers of Jesus, God's children, can face life's difficulties by embracing the certainty our heavenly father has a perfect plan. Now, I know we know that in our head. Those of us that have been believers for a long time. But I'm telling you, just like Jesus, He knew this all along and His whole life was coming. At that moment, He had to wrestle with it. He had to work through this truth that His Father had a plan. Have you ever felt that? You're going through something so difficult, but you know the truth, and you're in this wrestling match with, I know what the truth is about what God says about me, but this is so overwhelming. This is so difficult. All I want to do is sleep. (laughs) I want to run. Jesus went through the same thing. He went through the same thing, but you see what he did? He knew that the focus had to be on, okay, I need to remember. I need to remember what's certain, okay? Because life is hard. Yet there is hope in a God who loves and cares about us, especially when we're experiencing severe emotional pain. Look what the psalmist says. Look what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34. He says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from their troubles. The Lord, I love this verse, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now, obviously doesn't mean he's going to take care of everything away, all, fix all our problems. What this means, number four, though, is that God invites us, number four on your notes, invites us to come to him with our emotional pain, believing that he deeply cares about us, is in complete control, and, and ultimately has a plan for us. So just when we ask, just because we ask, God's like, oh, you asked, it's gone. No, what God is wanting to do us to do is what his son did, is to wrestle with this, is to come to grips and know, bring our emotional pain to him. I don't know if you're, I'm kind of an open book and I kind of blah anyway to people and to God and all that, but I know some people have a harder time expressing their emotion. Sometimes expressing their, derp, derp, their dark hurts and pains and even anger at God. You know what? Bring it. That's what God is saying. Tell me, but at the same time, don't just stay there. Express your hurt, express what's going on, but also know I want you to come to the place where you can know that I'm in control and I have a plan for you. So you see how the it goes. There's a wrestling match back and forth that goes on. Now, to add insult to injury here, Jesus now has to deal with his own disciples, lack of support and lack of understanding. Look at verses 40 and 41. It says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Something we've heard that many, many times. So Jesus comes back and he finds the three guys. And he finds them sleeping instead of watching for Like he asked them to do but, And in this loving rebuke Jesus instructs them He says to be alert And what he tells them to pray against And pray against the temptation To no longer to be loyal to me Pray that you can still be loyal Because this is what happens to a lot of us We get to the point And I've heard this many many times People get to a point where they say I prayed to God over and over And over and over Nothing changed, I'm gone And the enemy loves that The enemy absolutely loves that because that's so tempting, isn't it? It's so tempting to say, well, if God is so good, then why? If God is so good, why does this continue? Well, in stating that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus is saying that really the desire to do the will of God, to obey God, to stick with God, it might be strong Yet what happens is our inner self or our human nature easily wanes when things get hard, doesn't it? It's so hard. Number five here says in your note, The reality is that initial enthusiasm or spurts of enthusiasm in terms of loyalty or obedience to the Lord often succumb to apathy or disinterest. Anybody ever experienced that before? I'll raise my hand. Yes. Yes. That's so easy. We get pumped. We're moved by a sermon or a, or a powerful time in God's word or, or by how God does something in our lives and works in our lives. And we're, we're ready. I'm stoked. I am in, God. Woo, thank you. I'm all in. I'm, I'm all yours. And we say, I want in whatever you want. Yet, have you ever noticed then that as time goes by, difficulties come, hard things happen. What happens? Our enthusiasm to our own disappointment it begins to wane. All the time, this happens so often. Sometimes we even, (laughs) here's the crazy thing, I don't know if you've ever found this, sometimes we find ourselves even doing the exact opposite thing that we wanted to do. God, I'm going to serve you all out. I'm even going to stop doing that. Where do we find ourselves? Doing that. That's how it goes. So often it goes that way sometimes. Why does that happen though? Why does it happen? Why is it so easy to get our, for our enthusiasm and our obedience, obedience to God to fade? And how do we keep that flame going? How do we keep it going? How do we stay enthusiastic for the Lord? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He right here, he gives it to us. I love when he does that in my notes. It's perfect. He's, thank you, Jesus. He says, here's what he says. Why? He says to watch and to pray. Okay, on your notes. To watch means to be alert. See, here's what's happening. As their sleepiness overcame the disciples, so too it is so easy for us to get distracted by, by needs and desires and cares that take our focus off Jesus. This is one of the major tactics of the devil. It's not gonna say, I'm gonna go get you to murder somebody, I'm gonna go get you to be a horrible person. No, what he's gonna do is do anything he can possibly do to get our focus off of Jesus. He'll even use good things. But so often it's the difficulties of life, the struggles we go through that he uses to get us to take our focus off of him. Remember the apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter 5.8, he said, be sober-minded. Here it is. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we go, oh, devour, that must mean I'm dead or I'm not. No, he's going to devour us by getting us to get our focus off of Jesus. When our focus gets off of Jesus, it goes on to ourself. And once our focus is completely on ourself, we become devoured by ourself, don't we? Our sin is devouring our sin is hungry. Our sin nature wants to take over, but our sin nature, like I said, it's going to do it slowly and surely just to get our focus off of Jesus, especially when things are difficult. To be watchful means to keep our eyes on Jesus. And really the best way to do this, it's not rocket science, we all know this, but to, is to be committed to being in God's word and in prayer. Now I'm not talking about a glance at our Bibles uh, now and then. I opened it up on Sunday morning, or you know, every once in a while for Bible study I go to, or a quick prayer in the morning as we God. I got a busy day. Bless me, and out the door we go. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about regular, concentrated times in God's Word and focused times of being in His presence. Anybody feel guilty yet? I do. That's not what this is meant to do. I'm not, this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't, this isn't pastor guilt trip time. That's next week. No, I'm kidding. Um, No, it's not. We all know this. We all know this, but the, because the reality is we all struggle to spend time in God's word and prayer, don't we? We all do. We all struggle with that. But here's the key. The key is, are we making strides to be more disciplined in this area? That's what he's asking. Are we making some kind of stride to make some advancement in this? And not till we can just check off a box or not so we can get more approval from God. That's not it at all. So we can be intimate. So that we can actually know God. But here's the other part of this too. Is Are we encouraging other people to do that? As well, are we encouraging our brothers and sisters to be in the Word to be praying? Are we asking our brother? Are we asking each other? How is your prayer life? How is your time? In the, what are you learning in the Word? And not because we want to say, "Because I got something good to say, they probably don't." I'm going to look really good. Whoop. No, that's not why we do it. That's not why we do it at all. Number seven here. This is what it means to be a church: to be encouraging one another. In order that we don't enter into the temptation of spiritual apathy and disobedience, we need to be encouraging one another in the discipline of being in God's word, and being in prayer, and being in His presence. Because it's so hard; everything in our flesh wants us to not do it, or to try to feel like I I can get a, or to just get away with whatever. And, and miss the whole concept, the whole idea of being in God's Word and prayer is to, is to nurture this intimate relationship with Him, just like we would do with a, a person. So I don't know about you, but I need you people in my life to encourage me to be in the Word and to be in prayer. But Rob, you're paid to do that. No. We all need to be developing an intimate relationship relationship with the Lord. I meet with a couple guys on Thursday mornings. We're going through the book of Romans, just verse by verse, because we know that, you know what, we all, we need this. We need this to be able to stay focused, to, we need each other to help us understand we need this so much. So this isn't about a guilt thing. This is about what we all desperately need for, from each other. All right. Now the scene of the disciples falling asleep, he actually have, we see that it happens two more times, actually. Check this out in verses 42 to 46. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Do you, do you get the picture that this wasn't just a thing for Jesus? He went back again and again and again. He, he was in agony again. And he asked again, Lord, can plan B? No? Okay. So can we see here the emotional struggle that Jesus was going through? Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So two more times this happens, and Jesus finally tells them, all right, get up, it's time. My time has come. So now, here's what I want to do. We're going to read a huge section as our ending time Here is I want you to notice the difference in Jesus' emotional state moving forward now Compared to when he is off praying. We've seen him off praying. We've seen him struggling. We've seen him just crying, wanting to die. Now I want you to notice this emotional state. And we'll talk about it just briefly when it's over. Because I believe that the change in his emotional state has to do with him proactively, intentionally pursuing intimacy with his father. Let's look at verses forty-six. I mean, 47 to 56. Here we go. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one who I will kiss is the, man, the, is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to, said to him, friend, do what you have come to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold one who was and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, "Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? And but how, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? at that hour Jesus said to the crowds have you come out as against a, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day i sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me but all this has to take place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled then all the disciples left him and fled Really, all I want to say about this section here is that this scene shows us, number eight in your notes there, is that due to pursuing intimacy with his father, Jesus is now confident, he's calm, and he is courageous. He's confident, calm, and courageous, unlike the disciples who respond to this situation in absolute fear and self-preservation. Total opposite You see, Jesus is able to calmly face this hostile crowd along with the person that's betraying him, a close friend. He's able to confidently trust that his father has a plan that is best and he has the courage here not to retaliate even when it's completely in his power to do so. You see how his emotional state has changed? See how much more controlled Jesus is? I want you to think about, as we close here, the emotional pain and the struggles that you're experiencing right now or have experienced in the past. Because the truth is that pursuing intimacy with God really is the only thing that will bring this true confidence, this calm, and this courage that you and I will need when we are facing this kind of pain as we walk with the Lord through it. Now, what we've kind of like we've done in the past, in the past couple, I just want to spend a few minutes dialoguing back and forth with you guys. I just have a few questions and I would love to hear your feedback. It's kind of a new thing we've been doing, but it's really been great for me. I know. Um, Here's my first question. Uh, What are some practical ways Uh, confidence, calm, and courage due to intimacy with God might play out in someone's life? What are some practical ways that um, this confidence, this calm, and this courage due to intimacy with God might play out in someone's life, especially during difficult times? Think about it for a second. I'd love to hear from somebody. Some practical ways, confidence, confidence, calm and courage due to intimacy with God might play out in someone's life, especially when faced with life's difficulties. Yes, sir? When somebody's in the hospital with a life-threatening illness. Yeah, so what what will that do to, what will that intimacy with Christ do when you're faced with that kind of situation? Maybe take away some of the terror and fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one. Thanks, Gary. What else? What might be some practical ways that these play out? Yeah, Sue. Yeah. 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 Can you imagine how the that impacts? That's got to impact fellow coworkers when we come to work. Just as stressed as that. Just as much load. Just as much craziness. But our intimacy with the Lord is giving us that calm. Doesn't mean we're all like, hey, no problem. You know. You know, zippity do da You know, it's not. That's a, But really is that that calm that they see? That's only going to come from that intimacy. Yeah, Jeremiah. Yeah. Uh, witness encounters. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, coming across, especially when you're, we're afraid, we're going to have to share our faith and what it really means to be a believer. And we're going to go, because the reality is, i got to tell you, there's no such thing as being presented with an opportunity to uh, present the gospel with Jesus, and you go, I got this. Not ever, I, I've never experienced that. Yeah, Becky. Uh, it has uh, enabled me to
1: speak the truth to somebody who needed to
0: hear it and didn't want to hear it. Yes. Oh, isn't that hard? Conflict avoidance is our friends, we think. <laughs> we think, but is it good? Yeah, Lana. Yes. Exactly. That's a, yeah, that's a great one. We just want to go and do. Let's fix this. Yeah, great one. Great one. Second question. What are some things that get in the way of pursuing intimacy with God? What are some things that get in the way? Yeah. Selfishness. Selfishness. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. What else? Yeah. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Yep, for sure, definitely, yeah. All right, next one. What are some practical things that we can do to pursue intimacy with God? What are some practical things? We've talked about some of it already, yeah. Yeah, just being in his word on a regular basis, yeah. However, that looks. By the way, there is no. Just so you know, if you're looking for the reading plan that's going to take care of your intimacy with God, intimacy with God, it doesn't exist. Okay, He just wants us to be in His Word, asking questions. Okay, what does this have to? What is this for me? What's in this for me, God? What do you have for me? It's like, yeah, yes. That's good. Yeah. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast usually, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. of... Thank you. <laughs> Devin. Yeah. With God, needs, totally. Exactly. Exactly. I know some of you guys, have, people in here, have had a, made, paid a key role in my intimacy with God. And I can think of people throughout my life that meeting with them, uh, Key in, in making that happen. Anything else? Anything practical things we can do to pursue intimacy with God? Yes, Vicki. Last week, I think it was last week, you we said put an alert on your phone yeah. and encouraging the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I meant to do that this week and I didn't do it,
1: but it's, I think we just need to yeah. remind ourselves we you know and we, uh, we, mm-hmm. we
0: read, yeah. but um, just to just have a little yeah. alert that comes yeah. up Well, we'll wait while you do it right now. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, that's how bad. I, I have two separate alerts. One for, to, that's like I told you, at three o'clock it says, praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And I have these other two that remind me to do this kind of liturgical thing I'm doing. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. That's how bad, that's how bad. Okay, last one real quick. What might be some practical ways that we can encourage one another to pursue intimacy with God? Devin already mentioned, which is great. That's, that's, you're right. How do we, how can we do that? How, what are some practical ways that we can truly encourage one another to pursue intimacy with God? Any ideas? I know the one that, I know that my, I'll, I'll, you go first, Joe. That's what's so great about, that's what's so important about hearing each other's stories and not just your whole life story, but constantly hearing how God is working, how do you work this week, whatever. Because it incurred. It oh gosh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's such a good one. I know for in my household, um, since I've been married, and my wife's been always good about even just a simple thing of putting like Bible verses on like the mirror of our, especially of our kids during their teen years, but um, <laughs> but but just putting Bible verses all over the house and different things like just just to encourage me. Okay, keep that in my, in my face, in my face. Anything else that you can think of? Anything else that uh, some practical ways we can encourage one another to be pursuing our intimacy with God? Yeah, that's a great, helping someone memorize promises in the Bible. Sometimes, yeah, someone need help memorizing. Yeah, did I see someone? Yes. I'm say, I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah, exactly. So it does go the other side too, doesn't it? It's not always about, hey, have you been doing this? It's like, listen, I've noticed this. Having the guts and the love to say, hey, I've noticed this about you. That, exactly. That is exactly what that does. Thanks, guys, for that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you <clears throat> again for your incredible word. Thank you how it speaks so clearly to us, God. And now as we, as we enter a time of communion right now, God, I just pray, God, that you would um, speak to our hearts as far as just where we're at with you and our intimacy with you. For those of us that need to maybe confess our, how we've gotten um, like the disciples who fell asleep because they were so tired and how maybe we have fallen asleep in our relationship with you, God. May this be a time of renewal. May this be a time of of remembering what you've done and, and how good it is to be in your presence and how good it is to recognize that you have a plan even in the midst of our struggles, God. So thank you for your word. Thank you for what this now represents in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So.